This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Good morning. My name is Tyler. I'm the worship pastor here, and it's my great privilege to welcome you all here. My prayer as we gather, um, and maybe you heard it reflected when I prayed, but I'm so conscious of the fact that it's so easy for me to get into routines and forget about the deeper things that are happening, the deeper meanings. And so my prayer, our prayer as we gather is that we won't just meet, but that we meet the very real God and that we're here not just trying to conjure something up, but we're responding to the, the great work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he did in revealing God the Father to us and making it possible for us to enter in relationship. So with all that, I welcome you into that, even if it's your very first time here. We hope that um, you experience a taste of that and that you're invited and encouraged to come in. Um, Coming up is our Alaska Men's Summit. Now, all the time we're telling you why you should do things or why you should be a part of something. I'm going to do something complete. I'm going to tell you why you might not want to go to this, okay? It's coming up here real soon, and uh, just a couple reasons why you might want to go, or might not want to go, I should say. So, uh, first off, if you like kind of fluffy, shallow topics, like how how to quarter uh, color coordinate your workspace in your garage, that kind of stuff, if you like that kind of stuff, you're probably not going to want to go. Because they're going to be talking about stuff like marriage, sex, parenting, that kind of stuff. So if you like shallow topics, I wouldn't go. Also, if you don't like to eat, if you don't like food, I wouldn't go. Because uh, they're going to serve lunch for free with the $25 donation you'll give for this conference. Okay? Or if you like to spend lots of money, that's another one that I wouldn't go because it's cheap, $25. Okay? And also, if you don't like, as a man, to be around other manly men and experience lots of manness together, then I wouldn't go because this is for men only. All right? And the last reason you might want to go, not want to go, if you don't like challenges, like you just kind of like to sit around, then I wouldn't go because this is likely going to be challenging. All right? So this is, uh, I think the date is on the brochure in there. I think it's, I want to say maybe as soon as next Saturday and you can register online or you can just come and show up at the event. Okay? And uh, we have, actually, I think two or three people from our staff, Dan Kraus, I'm counting Dan Kraus in that, who are going to be a part of the workshop, breakout workshops. So they have breakout workshops, main speaker. And uh, I know at the retreat that we had last fall, we had several people from our church. And the feeling was, as we stood around, man, I know, I see some of you who were there. It was like, how, could, how do we get more men at these events? Well, here's an opportunity for us all to support both support this ministry, but really encourage other people who could benefit from it to go. Ephesians 5, 21-33 Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, 
just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Good morning. I'm Neil, the staff leadership pastor. And uh, we are in a series, we just began a series last, uh, last Sunday called Family Matters. And our focus uh, over the next few weeks is on just seeking to, to learn how we can enter in more fully to uh, being who God designed us to be as a family. And how the gospel reality that, that Pastor Tyler described a few minutes ago in his, his welcome, how that gospel reality can begin to, to be fleshed out within our families in a deeper way. And uh, Brad laid a foundation, which was really important. And uh, one of the things that he said is that there are no perfect families. And uh, that, that kind of brings a sense of relief there. And, and uh, despite the different ideals of family that we uh, may experience, um, we, there's basically always a gap between the real and the ideal, isn't there? There's a gap, there's a tension between the real and the ideal, whatever that ideal is. Now, the real is, uh, can be a number of different things here. Some, for some of you, the real is uh, your, your current marriage is, uh, is in shambles, and you're not sure it's going to survive. Uh, for some of you, you're on your second marriage, and you're not sure that's going to last. Um, uh, for some of you, you're single, and you wish you were married, and you don't know when that is going to happen or if that's going to happen. Some of you, you're married and uh, you have kids, and uh, while you're thankful for your kids, your life just seems to be swirling around you. Uh, how do you raise kids in a, in a world uh, that's got so many pressures like it does now? Uh, for some of you, uh, you're married and you wish you had kids, and you don't know why you don't have kids, and if that's going to happen and when. Uh, some of you uh, are grandparents, and you wish you had a better relationship with your grown kids and your grandkids. And then there's at least a few of you that are living in some form or fashion your idea of ideal. And you're either realizing that the idea, that ideal that you had was an illusion all along, uh, or you're just kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop because you're like, it can't be this good all the time. And so this is where life happens, isn't it? In the midst of this tension between the real and the ideal. And uh, today we're going to unpack... A little bit further, this whole idea of families, uh, specifically as it relates to the husband and wife, but it, you're going to see it actually goes way beyond that, and um, it's going to be applicable to each one of us. One of the things that Brad said last week that uh, can get us on the right trajectory as a family is to decide who we're going to serve. 
And again, today we're going to try to look at that in more specifically some of the ways that that is fleshed out uh, in our family relationships. Um, but again, you're going to see that if you, whether you're married, whether you're single, uh, this, you, there's going to be a walk away for you here. Uh, because I'm going, to give us, I'm going to give you a four-word phrase here in a bit that I think can transform the dynamics of our relationships. If we begin to put this four-word phrase that is really the, in, in a form of a question, um, we, can, we will see some kind of change. It's not a magic formula, but we'll see some change in the dynamic around us. And we can all apply this. Now, um, I don't have to convince you that there's a lot of confusion related to marriage roles. And um, some of this for, for you, when you hear this passage read, it brings up all kind of fear and rightly so for a lot of things. Here's a short video that just kind of highlights the, the way this, uh, the tension can get worked out sometimes. Rudy, can I ask you a question? Sure. Speaking as a woman, if you were married, would you go to Boston without your husband? Alvin, I'm not a woman. Yes, you are, just like I'm a man. <laughs> you're no man, you're bud. <laughs> if you were married to me, would you go to Boston? First of all, I'm not going to marry you. You would if I told you to. <laughs> You have to earn my love. A man doesn't have to earn love. A woman gives it to him automatically. Not this woman. Well, that dates me. If you know anything, if you followed that that uh, story or that just that show, if you know anything about Kenny, otherwise known as Bud and Rudy, their relationship has a lot of this budding heads between roles, doesn't it? So, hey, uh, anybody know what this is? It's a box. Do you know what's in the box? Christmas tree. Hey, it's, this is our artificial Christmas tree. It is a four and a half foot noble fir, and it's just perfect for our house. How many of you guys have an artificial tree for Christmas? Okay. How many of you guys have as much courage as I do to try to get it back in the original box afterwards? Hey, there's a few of you. Okay, so some of you know what I'm, I'm going to describe. I took this exercise on uh, sometime earlier this week, and so... You know, here I am in my cross space, and, you know, I, you, you're, you're, uh, to, to do this, you have to, you know, you kind of start by gently, pu- you know, pushing the branches upwards, and because uh, you're looking at the box, and you're thinking, okay, we can do this, so you're pressing them upwards. You're being careful because the lights are still on it, right? You don't want to have to restring the lights next year. And so, uh, so you're, you're, you're gently pressing it up, but again, this box is getting bigger and bigger by the moment. And, um, and then you realize that it comes apart. Our, this one kind of comes apart kind of in the middle. And so you take it apart, and then you realize that the lights that you strung kind of go across it, so you really can't get it apart. But you kind of sort of, and then, I mean, really what started out as a very noble, by the way, noble exercise uh, to serve my wife, it quickly deteriorates into something more like wrestling a bear. You guys know what I'm talking about? So before long, I mean, seriously, I'm down here with my knee on it, and I'm like trying to shove things in there. And once I get it somewhat in the box, I grab the strapping tape, right? Strapping tape is your friend. And I take it, and I'm just wrapping it like crazy, and it's like I'm subduing this animal, you know. And I finally get it. I'm in the crawl space, and then what I do? I toss it in the corner because I'm like, okay. I've had it. Now, um, there's a little bit of satisfaction, but it doesn't last very long because I realize that 
it's going to take a miracle for the lights to work again next year that I was carefully leaving on there. Now, um, for some of you, and for me, part of my history is that I think sometimes we, we deal with this passage of Scripture that was read, uh, kind of like we do an artificial tree. In other words, we bring it out once a year. Why? Because it's, it's the Word of God, and it brings life, right? And it's beautiful for all to see. And, um, but quickly... Too quickly, often, what that ends up deteriorating into a lot of confusion about roles and responsibilities and what this looks like in marriage. It ends up raising conflict in your, in your relationships. And we just kind of decide, you know, it's best just, let's just pack this away. We brought it out, but let's just pack it away. It's a little safer, and we'll put it back in our crawl space for maybe another year, right? Um, I, my prayer, my hope is that um, after we... Look at this, and some of you already kind of get this, um, but I hope that we can see this with some new perspective and actually not fear this passage in Ephesians 5, but see it as something that really brings life and not have to pack it away at the end because we're seeing it through, through new eyes. And so uh, that's my hope there as we, as we go along. Now, I do want to address, before we unpack this passage a little bit, um, I want to just address the reality that Anytime we talk about the issue of marriage, uh, we risk isolating or further isolating those of you who are single, those of you who are divorced or uh, widowed. And, um, you know, I just want to acknowledge that sometimes as a church, we've just not gotten this right. And I mean, you know, us as Community Covenant Church, but just in the church in general. Oftentimes, the church in general, we've sent a, mess- sent a message which can be very hurtful. Uh, to those who are single or um, divorced or widowed. And uh, what I mean by that is that sometimes we send this message, however unintentional, that kind of just makes you feel like, well, you don't really fit. um, There's not a place for you here. And kind of the the idea of when are you going to get married and join the the rest of us who are normal. And I just want to acknowledge that um, the reality is that's that's a message that's very different from what you see in the teaching of Jesus and in the teaching of Paul. Um, they didn't, I mean, the bottom line is they didn't care if you were married. I mean, Jesus celebrated. He went to weddings. He celebrated marriage. Uh, Paul didn't seem overly concerned where, one way or another if you were married. Paul actually says, and this isn't a sermon primarily about singleness, okay? But Paul basically says, look, Ed, are you single? Well, great. You can actually serve God in ways that those who are married cannot. Are you married? Outstanding, love each other well. And then this, one of, this passage in Ephesians 5 is one of the places where he unpacks what does it mean to love each other well. So, if, again, if you've been on the receiving end of that message, I just want to tell you it's not true. And not only are you just fine single, if anything, the lean in Scripture, according to Jesus and according to Paul, is actually to being single. Okay, and I'm not trying to oversimplify that, but I just pray that you will hear that and receive that and maybe in some way just further, more deeply embrace uh, that's whether it's a season of life of singleness or it's a call because the scripture speaks of both of those things. So and I promise you there's going to be a takeaway here. This four word phrase I'm going to give you is going to apply to everyone here, whether you're married or single. Okay. So let's uh, let's unpack this this passage. And what I need to do real quick is to give you a little bit of context the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Now, 
Remember, of course, Jesus had come. He basically initiated a movement of love like they had never seen before. People had heard about and experienced love before Jesus came, but never the way that Jesus demonstrated love. And so you have these new believers that are following Jesus, and they're trying to figure out how to live out this radical ethic of love that is so different than anything they'd ever experienced. And so you have people, you have people like Paul and Peter in particular that come alongside these new churches to try to help them to flesh out this, this Jesus ethic of love within their context. And in this case, in Ephesians 5, you have the, the most clear instructions to family relationships that we have in the New Testament. And, um, and so uh, that's the context for this. And, and basically in Ephesians 5, 22 through uh, 6, 4, we didn't read that far, uh, but you have, you have specific instructions to families. And, and here's a summary of what those instructions are. Wives, submit to and respect your husbands. I know that for a lot of you, that is your favorite verse in Scripture, especially if you're a woman. Um, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Parents, don't exasperate your kids. And some of you kids are like, yes, yes. Okay, but, but listen, children, honor and obey your parents, which in other words means don't exasperate your parents. Okay, it kind of goes both ways. Now, uh, what I want you to see is that it's really important to see the verse that precedes these specific instructions. Okay, there's a verse that precedes it, and what is it? It would be verse 21. And uh, it was read, okay, submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, this, this is a very central verse because this, this verse, this is a command given to everyone. And actually it's a command not just to the family. It's, it's a command to followers of Christ is the context here. But it's specific. It's, it's instructions to every person in the family regardless of uh, where you might be in your sense of hierarchy or or uh, in, in a family, okay? The basic premise instruction given to everyone in the family is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he says, wives, that specifically, here's how that looks. Husbands, here's how that looks. Parents, children, here's, here's how that looks. So we've got to get that. There's a picture of mutual submission. And we're going uh, to come back and talk about what that word submit means. And, but just understand that the w- wives were not asked to do something different than everyone else in the family was asked to do. Okay, now, another part of this context is the fact that verse 21, and most of you are in your English translation, you're going to see verse 21. It's kinda, it looks like it's set apart as a, as a separate, separate sentence, as if Paul in verse 20 stops. And then he starts a new section in verse 21. Well, that's not how it looks in the original Greek, in the original language. Actually, in the original language, verse 21 is the ending clause of a long sentence that starts with verse 18. Paul is known for some of these long sentences, okay? So uh, we need to go back and see what does Paul say in, in, in verses 18, 19, 20, and then 21. And, um, and basically what, what Paul says in verse 18, he, this is where he says... Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or all kind of raunchy living, in other words. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. In light of this gospel reality that Pastor Tyler just kind of shared a few minutes ago, um, in, in the, the in filling of the Spirit of Christ in us, uh, here's some of the things that should be 
flowing out of that. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs, sing and make music, always giving thanks, part of what we've been doing here, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So submitting to one another out of reverence for for Christ is evidence of the the Spirit-filled life. Uh, If you're not a follower of Christ here, which we know that you're here, we're glad you're here, uh, that whole idea of being spirit-filled is kind of may seem kind of strange. In essence, what it means is, as uh, as a person who has taken a step to follow Christ, God says, not only have I um, imparted uh, my grace upon you, there's an ongoing outworking of that grace that that, that happens in your life. And so, uh, there's the, the very spirit of Christ, according to Scripture. Uh, indwells us as followers of Christ to continue to work out this gospel, this radical love of God in our hearts. And so the only way we can live out, the only way I can live out these specific instructions to husbands given in these following verses is by the infilling of the Spirit. I am hopeless without that. Apart from the Spirit and the character of Christ being formed in me, enabling me to slowly begin to live like Jesus, I can't do this. Every one of us would look at that list And it would be fail, fail, fail. But it's the spirit of Christ that can enable us to do this. And so uh, submitting to one another our reverence of Christ is evidence of the spirit-filled life. And that's the premise of these instructions given uh, to the family. Now, what does this word submit mean? We need to look at this a little bit. The word submit in the Greek, it's actually two Greek words that come together to form uh, the, the idea here. Uh, is to place myself under. If I submit to you, I'm choosing to place myself under. I'm choosing to tend to your needs, place your needs ahead of mine. I'm choosing to uh, be responsive to you. So uh, mutual submission is a mutual placing ourselves under the other, responding to the other, seeing the other's uh, needs as uh, more important than ours. So what does mutual submission, this mutual place in ourselves under another, what does that look like as it's fleshed out in some of these specific instructions? I'm not trying to oversimplify. There are a lot of different ways this could be expressed and worked out. Um, But I'm going to give you this four-word phrase now. Okay, four-word phrase, it's a question. And if you and I begin to ask this question regularly in our relationships and we have a posture of heart that matches it, I really believe that we will be able to, we will see a a dynamic, the dynamic in our relationships begin to change. Here it is. How can I help? Can you say that with me? One, two, three. How can I help? Now, some of you, honestly, if you're, if you're really honest, you're a little disappointed. You were waiting for some kind of profound statement of mystery and so forth, or some deep teaching meat. You know, well, let me. Do, I'm not trying to make fun of you if you're if if you're if that's kind of what you're thinking. But I'm also telling you this right here, as simple as it sounds, it is so hard to live out. But it is central to what it means to follow Jesus. There is no deeper teaching than seeking to live this out right here. This is meat for everyday life right here. What does this look like in our relationships? Think about it, husbands and wives. Think about if you began to regularly ask each other, how can I help? How can I help? Imagine I come home, 
from work, for me, this is when I feel it the most, okay? I come home from work, and, uh, you know, if I had my default setting and preference of what I would want to do, uh, there are two things. One, I would just kind of want to veg, because, what, I've had a hard day, you know, and uh, whatever all that means, I've had a hard day, and I am tired, you know, um, I just either just want to veg or I, or I want to, to engage in playing with my kids because I just love doing that. Now, that may be, to engage in the kids, may be exactly what's best for Autumn in that moment. You know how that is? You, the kids get handed off to you when you come home, okay? Um, but what if I instead, I, I live regularly out of a heart's uh, posture that comes home and says, regardless of what I'm feeling in that moment, um, Autumn, how can I help? What, what's the best thing I can do right now to help you? Because what I'm, and it's so you can change the wording of this, but it's that hard attitude. What, what's the best thing I can do for you right now? How can I pour life into you in this moment, regardless of whether I feel like it in this moment or not? Because if I do that, I'm, what am I telling Autumn? I'm saying, Autumn, I, I see you. I realize that you carry a burden as a full-time mom and as a full-time wife to me that is probably way harder than I deal with. So the thought of me coming home and just deciding to veg while she's continuing now to serve me, how selfish is that? Even though that's in my mind what I kind of want to do, right? Now, wives, what does it mean for you um, in the morning before either you go to work or your, the kids get off to school or whatever to be able to, 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 to say to your husband, um, what can I do? Is there anything I can do to you that, that sets you up to just have the best day possible right now. You see this posture of heart that, 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 that begins to, to change, how this can begin to change the dynamic. Because frankly, whether it's the, the husband or wife or the kids, sometimes whichever side of that or you're on, we're even afraid to ask for help from our spouse. Why? Because the response has been something short of defensive, if not abusive. Very different from this attitude here. Kids, try this. You want to see the shock on your parents' face when you say, how can I help? How can I help? Just for the shock factor alone, you should try it. Uh, Andy Stanley, pastor in, uh, down in Atlanta, he says on this, hey, um, don't just, you know, if you really want to take advantage of this, kids, do it. Ask that question when your parents have their friends over. Now you've really done it. So, <laughs> um, Hey, uh, kids, what if you began asking this question regularly to your sibling? How can I help? Now, they're not going to believe you for a while, okay? You're going to have to ask it a lot. Uh, but you not only asked it, but you, it actually became a posture of heart. What I mean by posture of heart, that you really actually mean it and that you're going to respond uh, to, to that. Uh, parents, what does it mean... Imagine what it would mean and how it could change your dynamic if in the midst of how many times a day, depending on the age of your kids, you feel like you're just correcting your kids and you're pointing out things. And it's like, how do you ask? What's the right way of asking? You've heard this a thousand times. What if in the midst of that, at least once a day, you actually are asking your, your, your kids this question? What can I do to help? How can I help? I, try to, I do this with Anar. She's three years old. Now, don't, don't ask Autumn if I do this all the time. I'm not pretending that I do this great, but I'm seeking to live this with this posture of heart. So I do. I try to regularly ask Anar, Anar, how can I help? And I do. She's a sharp little girl, for one, but I'm going to tell you, she's beginning to, you know, she, she, you know she, I'm, I'm modeling something for her and a posture of heart in that, 
that I really believe if she gets that at an early age, wow, how could that change her, her dynamic in life and living as a follower of Jesus? So uh, this is very simple. It's very, very hard to live out. What are some of the two reasons I'm going to give you? What are two barriers for actually living this out? One is we get tripped up on this question, who's in charge? Uh, not that it's not important, okay? But I'm going to challenge you that if your primary question in your relationship, especially between husband and wife, begins to, to be about who's in charge, where does the buck stop, okay? When, when it comes down to a decision having to be made, uh, if that's your core question, something fundamentally has gone wrong in your relationship. I mean, if you think about the best marriages you, you can think of, the best friendships that you can think of, is the key question who's in charge? That, is, that, that no longer becomes an argument if, if, they are, if there's a mutual submission that's going on in that. Um, can you, you know, I mean, you know, yes, they're different. Uh, Paul, by the way, he doesn't make an attempt. Maybe sometimes we try to do this, but he's not trying to lay out spe- the specifics of how this is worked out in here. He uses the term headship. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. But he doesn't try to tell you exactly what that looks like. Well, then who exactly makes the decision? Who does the finances? We wish it would say that, and it doesn't. We have to work that. That's part of living in this tension and walking in faith. Um, But, you know, there is this thing about power and authority, and it is all about power and authority if you really want to know. But it's very upside down from what we're used to in the way we think. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Jesus, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul uh, goes over uh, kind of um, just over and over in his letters. He always he talks about the supremacy of Christ. And I'm going to give you one example. Um, I don't have the passage up here, but it's uh, Philippians 2, the letter to the Philippians uh, 2, verse 3, excuse me, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, husbands, wives, parents, kids, Grandparents, grandkids have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he unpacks what's often referred to as the Christ hymn. Paul probably didn't write this hymn himself, but it was a, he included it here, and it was known by the, 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 uh, the church there. Who being in very nature God, does that imply power and authority? Being in very nature God? did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. All power and authority is given to Jesus. Yet, what does he choose to do? He chooses to leverage that power and authority on behalf of us. That's the upside-down kingdom right there. And that's the dynamic that we're called to live out in our family relationships. Uh, Jesus himself recognized this, okay? So it recorded in John 13. Uh, this is right before Jesus is about to enter into the Easter week and all the events surrounding that. Um, John records in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. All things under his power. No one has more power and authority. And yet, what does Jesus do? In that moment, knowing that, 
He gets he basically steps away from the table, takes out his outer clothing, puts a towel on his waist, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. He serves them, and then he says, "I've I've done this as an example to you that you're to do to others what I've just done for you." So it is all about power and authority, but it's not who's got it; it's what you do with it to leverage it on behalf of those around you. How are you pouring life into others around you? Instead of trying to figure out who's in control. And ultimately, if you think about Jesus, it's be, why does he do this? It's because he sees people as worth dying for. Do we see our family? Just start there. Do we see our family as worth dying for? See, this is really simple, but it's really hard to live out. And the only way I can really begin to see people in, around me as worth dying for is by the, the Spirit of Christ beginning to form in me the character of Christ. And so, um, a little tip here. How can we, something specific, how can we avoid getting tripped up on the whole roles and control and responsibility? Who's making the decisions? What does headship look like? I'm going to give you a three-word phrase now. Okay, I gave you four. What was the four-word phrase? How can I help? Okay, you got that. This one's really easy, Okay. Uh, and a three-word phrase, just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. When you're thinking about what does this mean in my relationships, uh, wives, when you're asking what does it mean for me to submit to and respect my husband, well, it's going to look like Jesus. It's going to have something to do with how did Jesus submit to the love of his Father and the will of the Father. Um, you know, parents, what does it mean for, for uh, you to love your kids instead of, exa- instead of exasperate them? Well, you've got to work out the details, okay? But it's going to look something like Jesus and his love for us. Uh, kids, what does it mean to, to honor and obey your parents? Uh, it's going to look something like Jesus and his love for the Father. And husbands... I can speak more directly to you because I'm a husband and, and I'm a papa. What does it mean to be head over your wife and over your household? Well, there's some specifics there that you're going to have to work out, but it's going to look like Jesus. It's going to look like Jesus who uh, loves loved the church enough to die for the church. Whatever it means to be head over your household, is, it means to lead like Jesus. It means that husbands, fathers, you're to be the chief lover in your home. You're to be the one leading the way and placing yourself under the rest of your family and demonstrating this upside-down kingdom. Now, um, it, is this a setup for some abuse and, and exploitation in your family? Um, no. Now, I'm not saying that it's not, it doesn't happen, okay? But loving people does not mean you allow yourself to be abused and exploited. Uh, love means you set boundaries. Love means you confront. And love means you even get some other people around you who, you, who can help you, okay? This, this is very simple, but it is hard to live out. And in the, even in a situation that may border on abuse or exploitation, you, you do all those things, and I'm not trying to oversimplify very complex situations, okay? But you do all those things with boundaries. You get people around you to help. And I know in those situations you feel desperate. But in the power of God, because of the love that you've received, you can also keep loving that person because you see them as worth dying for. 
And that miracle can only happen by the work of Christ in our hearts. But that's the love that we're called to do. That doesn't mean you just lay down and take abuse. But in the power of God, you can keep loving that person because you you believe that they're worth dying for. You begin to see them the way God sees us and in the love that you've received from him. Okay. Uh, if you combine that, uh, those last three words with the first uh, four words, what have you got? Well, actually, honestly, you have something pretty hokey if you actually say those last three words out, out loud. Okay, I'm not suggesting, I mean, it seems kind of weird. I'm not suggesting you go and say those. I'm, you know, hey, Autumn, how can I, how can I help just like Jesus? That sounds, that's pretty, that's pretty churchy, okay? But can that become the posture of my heart? How can I help? Because behind that is realizing that this is the life that Jesus lived and this is what he called us to do. Okay, so uh, the, the second barrier real quick is fear. What are we fearful of in this? Well, mainly that, that we're going to actually have to do something we don't want to do. Because if you ask that question, they may actually say, well, you know, there is something that you can do. We, guess what? We may actually have to, to do something that we don't want to do. Don't ask the question if you're not willing to enter into it and actually respond in that way. Uh, but, you know, yeah, maybe all of a sudden I'm not number one in my life. Maybe this isn't, you know, priority number one. Well, guess what? Welcome to what it means to follow Jesus. Welcome to what it means to follow Jesus. Most of us are not going to have to lay down our life in, this, in asking this question. But it will cost us something. But God says this is where life is found. Now, uh, for those of you who are here that are not followers of Christ, this, this whole thing is optional, right? Uh, you can choose to do this or not. You can, but, you know, you don't have to be a follower of Christ to, to try this out. Take this, this four-phrase question and ask it and see what begins to happen in your dynamics, in the relationships around you. Um, but for those of you who are followers of Christ, this is not optional. This is a command. This is central to what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's hard there's grace in, the, in that tension between the real and the ideal. There's grace. That's part of how we experience the gospel in the midst of that tension is because we constantly need grace. But Jesus continues to point to an ideal because he also knows he's, he's forming the character of Christ in us. You begin to ask this question, how can I help? If I begin to ask this question regularly and have the posture of heart in that, um, our families will still look imperfect, but I promise you, life, God will pour life into your relationships as never before. Because this is where life is found. This is the way of love. It's the way of Jesus. And it's the life that he's called us to. Let's pray. Father, this is, uh, this is really simple. But, Lord, it's really hard uh, to live out. And, uh, Lord, I pray uh, for each one of us here that, um, Lord, some of us have, frankly, not had this model well for us. And uh, I pray that um, even those of us who maybe have had models, we've struggled with living this out. And, Lord, I pray that for each one of us, wherever we are, we would take a step towards creating a new legacy for, for our families. Lord, we are, uh, we are desperately dependent upon your Spirit's work in our heart to do this. 
But Lord, the, the cry of the church is, come, Lord Jesus. May your kingdom uh, come more and more alive in us as we seek to live like Jesus, as we seek to just ask, how can I help? And live with this posture of heart. Why? Because we believe people are worth dying for. Because you see us that way. Thank you for your love for us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.